This is 1A. I'm Jen White in Washington. Danny Trejo has over 380 acting credits to his name, from the hero of the Machete series. I know your every move, even before you do. Nobody knows Machete. To Tortuga, the drug cartel boss in Breaking Bad. Tortuga means turtle. That's me. I take my time, but I always win. Delivering his signature tough guy persona, Danny Trejo has become one of Hollywood's go-to badasses. But Danny's characters aren't far from his life before his acting career took off. Growing up, Danny was enmeshed in crime and struggled with substance use. For 12 years, he was in and out of the most notorious prisons in California. He's written about it in his new memoir, Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. And he's here with us now. Danny, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love hearing your voice. I just love listening to your voice. I just need to say that as upfront as a radio person. <laughs> I love a good voice, and you've got a great one. Now, in your book, you you recount your early years growing up in Los Angeles with your family. Uh, you write you were first taken to a police station by age 10. By 12, you were a regular in juvie. This all happened before you were a teenager. What were those early years like for you? Uh, <clears throat> you know what? It's, it's stupid to say, but they were kind of like an adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, I wasn't, uh, I sure wasn't bored. And I think that's one of the reasons why kids start getting in trouble because they're bored and, and they're, you know, their, their lives are so mundane and, and school is, you know, especially, you know, Los Angeles city schools, they're not making it. They're just babysitters, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, it's like you find things to do and it just so happened that my role model was a, an armed robber and a drug addict that who, who, who was the most impressive impressive person in my life. You're talking about your Uncle Gilbert. Uncle Gilbert. Everybody else, you know, everybody else worked hard and everybody else, uh, uh, you know, came home from work angry. And, and, and Gilbert, he worked smart. He dealt drugs. And, and I know that sounds like, well, that's stupid. But, but the reality was he found a way to work smart. And the price for that, though, is is deadly, you know, and uh, the people that that work hard stay out of jail. So now today I found a way to work smart instead of working hard. Hmm. And, uh, you know, my father was obsessed with having a pickup truck and a and a Cadillac and a home. And my mother was obsessed with whatever my father told her to do, you know, it was Hmm. So, but was it just about when I think about you, the way you write about your relationship with your uncle Gilbert? Um, you had a lot of admiration for him, but it also it also seems like you got something from him emotionally that you weren't getting from other people absolutely. in your life. What absolutely. what was that thing you were getting from him? Let me let me tell you. I think my uncle Gilbert was the only person that ever said, "Hey, I love you, dude." You know what I mean? And because. My dad was was a how do you say it was the word machismo. If you look at the word machismo in the Spanish dictionary, there's a picture of my father. Mm. You know, he was just just it was all 
muscle. I mean, he was all all man and construction worker, and and uh, even some of my friends, he would he'd tell them, you know, I'll beat you to death. You know what I mean? And and he was just this guy that everybody got out of his way. Mm-hmm. And I I had a secret with my mother that I told my dad, and he didn't want to believe it. Mm-hmm. And so. So we had this distance with us all the time. You know, we had that, you know, you know how when somebody tells you something and and you don't want to believe it, but every time you see them, you think about it. Mm. And and the secret was your your mother's affair yeah. with, with your uncle, uncle. With yeah. your uncle. That's a lot for for a kid to carry. And how do you think carrying that secret um your mother eventually uh, was was forced out of the home. How do you think carrying that as a child shaped I, I, shaped I, the way you thought about life and relationships? Uh, it's so funny when when I wrote this book, you know, I I I I, I wrote it. Me and Donald Logue's a beautiful, beautiful man, just unbelievable, and uh, and we became friends. We've been friends for thirty five years, and and. Uh, and he was finally somebody I could trust, and we started writing it, and we wrote it. And after we were like done with a couple of chapters, I let Maeve, my uh, children's mother, read it. Now, me and her haven't been together for forty years, but we're still together. You know what I mean? I, it's there's a people, relationship there. People would think we were in a relationship. We don't live together. We don't sleep together. We don't none of that. But but. You know, I'll, I'll, anytime she gets in, I put her through law school mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and so, so, uh, um, I, I let her read it and, and she said, well, well, that's, that's, this is nice, Dan. I mean, you, this is just, you're, you seem like a, you, Ooh, you were a kid. You got in trouble. You went to jail. Now you're a, a wonderful person. She says, what about your mom? What about your dad? You know, and I said, well, that's their story. And she says, no. Why do you think you've been married four times? Why do you think you've had three children with women you weren't married to? Why do you think that you never come home when you're in a relationship? Why do you think that you you destroy somebody before you think they're going to destroy you? And I, I don't. And she laughed. She says, hello. Hmm. Uh, I'm here. Remember me, and, and so we actually laughed about it. And and so I, I got to, when I got to start writing about that, about you know my mom's uh, uh, and my secret, and my dad waking me up and making me say that I lied. It's a lie, Dad. I'm sorry. You know. And then and then like three months later, my mother actually asking my stepmom asking me why did you lie. And me saying, because I'm bad, you know, I'm, what else could I say? I was eating okra and I used to love okra. And when I said that, I can't even stand the smell of okra now. Because she, I, was, she was giving you fried okra at the time that she asked yeah, you that question. Yeah. And it was so weird. It was like, like, I, 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 I it's a, now I'm okay. I can eat okra. Mm-hmm. But, but there was a time when if I even got a smell of it, yeah, I, I would get sick. You were about 12 years old when you took heroin for the first time. And (laughs) it was something you saw your Uncle Gilbert using. And you say that 
you realized it was a way for him to check out when things yeah, got I, hot. I, yeah. Literally, literally. And it's like when I saw him, when I saw him nodding in front of my grandfather, yelling at us, and I was uh, he's yelling at us and I'm like, I know he's going to hit me. So I'm, I'm 12 and I'm actually pinching my cheeks. So I won't crap my pants. And I, I'm like, Oh God, oh God. And I look over and Gilbert is nodding. And here's a man nodding out in the face of death. You know, my, my, when my grandfather got mad, he looked like a dragon, you know, and, and cause he would froth and, he got so angry, he left. He just stormed into his room, and Gilbert woke up, and did he hit us? You know, and I, I want to be like this guy. And when I saw what made him that way, I knew I wanted that. And and I threatened to tell on him if he didn't give me it. So, so, and it was funny because it was well, Danny, that was abuse, and I thought, wow, I thought it was sharing. You know, he was. Well, he was, how, well, how do you reconcile? Your admiration for your uncle Gilbert, and and think about you know here is a man who, who loved you, who gave you the affection that you weren't getting from other people who should have been giving it to you, um, who perhaps protected you in certain ways that you weren't getting protected from people who should have been playing that role. You know, I I tried to get Gilbert clean about three times. Every time he got out of prison, I'd get him a job. I'd help him, and. Uh, and uh, when uh, I did a movie called Heat, and Michael Mann, the director, knew my uncle from Folsom. Mm. Michael Mann did a movie in Folsom called The Jericho Mile. And he had to talk to my uncle, who was one of the leaders of the, of the Mexican uh, Union they have up there, and, uh, and Folsom Prison. And so... Gilbert said, okay, it was okay for everybody to work. So he, you know, he, he, but he, him and Michael Mann became friends. And Michael Mann kept calling me Gilbert. And he says, Danny, you know what? Do you mind if I call you Gilbert Trejo in this movie? And in the movie Heat, my name is Gilbert Trejo. And he did that for my uncle. And I think that was the, I I don't know, the homage to my uncle in the family. Mm -hmm. And everybody says that. That yeah, that was you know, that was really it, it was beautiful. I mean, I just I love Michael Mann for it. And so you don't have any. It feels it feels to me like you don't have any. Um, what's the word for it? You know, we can have complicated relationships no, with family members, but I, for Gilbert, I, that relationship no, is pure for you. I have to say that relationship was pure for me. It was just pure. And even though we we almost went to blows, one I mean, he pulled a knife on me and. But, but I knew that he was in his addiction, you know, and, and I understand that addiction. And I understand that this man, you know, loved me and like a little brother and like, a uh, and, uh, and, uh, 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 I have, I remember the couple of days before he passed away, uh, he came over to my house loaded at, at about three thirty in the morning. And I was just, me and George Perry were just getting home from work and, uh, and he he was apologizing, and I had to say, he was like making amends. And I said, Gilbert, you don't owe me nothing, Holmes. Do you realize that if that if if you wouldn't have did what you did, I you know I'd be I'd have the boringest life ever. Mm-hmm. 
And I says, I am who I am today, partly because of him. I wouldn't be where I am today. We'll hear more from Danny Trejo and from you in just a moment. Now let's get back to our conversation with actor Danny Trejo about his new memoir, Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. Uh, Here's you reading a passage from your book um, describing San Quentin Prison. Uh, You arrived there in 1966. Let's listen. San Quentin is the most right now place on earth that isn't a war zone. If you want to survive, you have no choice but to be in one place, this very moment, and only this moment. Will you live or will you die today? First thing you have to do when you get locked up is make peace with the right now. It will never be your friend, but you can't let it be your enemy or you'll go insane. Sure, a certain level of insanity helps you survive the pen, but you can't go too far. Right now was all we had, but the past surrounded us, a distraction and danger. San Quentin is haunted with the ghosts of everyone who has been shanked, beaten, or strangled to death. Within its walls, the ghosts of every man who ripped up a sheet, wrapped it around his neck, and jumped off the tier the ghost of those gassed in the execution chamber. Women, too. Not long before I got there, a woman who murdered her pregnant niece had been executed, along with her two male accomplices. That audio excerpt is courtesy of Simon & Schuster. Danny, explain what you mean by the right now. What it means is that that everything is happening in your world right now. Uh, you know, the Vietnam War isn't going on. The, not, the, the term, I've got your back, came from prison. It means when you're talking to an individual, you're talking to somebody, you're looking what's behind them, and they're looking at what's behind you. I got your back. Because you don't know whether somebody, you can die because somebody didn't get a letter. You don't even know them. You can die because somebody's angry at their lover. You can die. It's like, it's, I mean, we've seen people die. Well, for what is it? I don't know. That dude just went crazy. He started stabbing people. You are, San Quentin is, Prison is the biggest mental hospital there is. There are so many people in prison that could be taken care of in a hospital. You understand? You know, there, you know there's there's a there's autistic people. There's a, a bipolar. There's schizophrenic. You're surrounded. So it's a different kind of reality. At some point you realize that that you were on a bit of a treadmill. Um, you went to San Quentin, Soledad, um, Folsom. You learned the rules of how to conduct yourself in prison from your, your Uncle Gilbert. But Absolutely. 
when did you realize you you needed to to make a change? And and actually, I'm going to have you hold that answer until after the break because I want to I want to hear what you have to say. We're talking with actor Danny Trejo about his new book Trejo: My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. It's out now in both English and Spanish. Fahim emailed. I first saw Danny Trejo in 1995's Desperado as the knife throwing hitman hired to take out El Mariachi. His on screen presence was electrifying and it put him on the map. Since then. I've seen him in countless movies and shows. Eventually, he needs to join the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Danny, you had been in in the prison system for many years. You were also struggling with substance use. Was there, I guess, an aha moment for you, a moment when you said, I I need to do something different? I like the way you said substance use. I was addicted to drugs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But in but yes, there was. In 1968, uh, three of us went to the hole. There was a riot, and and uh, uh, I remember a guy named Henry Quijada saying, "Danny, they're going to top us," which meant they were going to send us the gas chamber. And the thought hit me that, wow, you know, that's it, you know. And I remembered all the people that said I had so much potential. It's, it's strange, but if you look at my school records from grammar school, Mrs. Finley, an uh, uh, enormous amount of potential, but cannot sit still. All these people talked about my potential, but, but and probation officers, parole officers, yes, enormous amount of potential, but he won't stop committing crime. You know, so this potential thing. And I remember right there when I was in the hole naked thinking about what happened to all this potential. Why you know, Why was that the moment? Because you'd been having a conversation with yourself for a long time about, you know, I'm probably going to die in prison. Like that was the, that was the story you'd written in your brain. So why do you, you think that was the moment? But you understand, listen, what I meant by dying in prison, I meant somebody, some it was due to a drug deal in prison or uh, old age or it wasn't the state. I think the state was going to, and this was like, wow, this was like, they're going to kill me. You know, knowing who's going to kill you is kind of a shocker. And, and I remember just saying, God, if you let me die with dignity, I'll say your name every day and I'll do whatever I can for my fellow man. And I said, inmate, because I never thought I was getting out of prison. My fellow inmate. And uh, God fooled everybody. The, the, the charges were a DA reject. He, he had no witnesses. There was, everybody said, Popeye did it, and your mother did it. And, and uh, so I got out of prison August 23rd, 1969. And now I... It wasn't like a deal that I made to let me pass this test or let me get a good job or, you know, don't let me get caught sneaking into my house. It wasn't it wasn't that kind of it let me die with dignity. And I was so serious about it, you know, and so I started trying to be, you know, Willy Wonka do a good deed guy. Hmm. And uh, Well, recovery has been a, a huge part of your life. You got clean. Um, you you also 
helped others. We got this email from Carol in Florida who says, I used to work with Danny Trejo at a methadone treatment program in Los Angeles. He was cool then, too. I love finding his movies and will get his book. Very proud of the person he has become and is giving back to the community. Why Why did your work with people who were also trying to get clean? Because you would bring them into your home. You know, they could call you any time of night. Why did that become so important for you? Because I I owe that, and that was my promise. You know, I it's funny they had a they had a group in juvenile hall, and and, and they invited a, a five of the Hollywood bad boys to come and talk, right? And they invited me as a because I wasn't Hollywood yet, and they invited me, and and nobody showed up. Everybody said they had stuff to do, you know, and and I understand that because their people are busy. I was the only one that showed up. And this guy asked me, Danny, why did you show up? I said, because I owe. They don't. There's a lot of people that don't owe their lives. They they are doing great. They Hollywood kids and and you know they can they can do stuff like throw water balloons at people and and you know and they haven't done armed robberies. You know, they 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 don't owe. And you understand, I owe my life. It's, it's interesting because you were discovered as an actor when you showed up at a movie step, uh, set after getting a call from someone who was struggling from being around drugs that were on set. And and this moment is a huge catalyst for you. Can you just describe what happened? Okay, I had been, <clears throat> I'd been working with this one kid, and I don't even know what happened to him. He was what I always call a messenger, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, he 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 was doing extra work, so I got into doing extra work. I was a drug counselor, and it was an extra fifty bucks cash. And I I uh, so it was a great. So I got on this one film. We went on called Runaway Train, and I ran into a, a a guy I knew from prison, a guy named Eddie Bunker, who was a prolific prolific. I learned that word. But he was, <laughs> he was like, a, he was unbelievable, the writer. And in the pen, he was known as the brain because he was the captain's clerk. The captain's clerk at, in the 60s was the most powerfulest inmate in prison. He was more powerful than a lot of the guards. He could literally put a guard on night duty if he wanted to. All he had to do was change the schedule because the, the captain didn't have that t- kind of time. And so, so uh, Eddie asked me, "Hey, Trey, what's up?" And we started talking, and he says, "Are you are you still boxing?" And I go, "No, Eddie, I'm 40 years old. I train, man. You know what I mean? I still train. I'm in shape." And he says, uh, "We need somebody to train one of the actors how to box." And I said, "What's it pay?" Understand, I'm making fifty dollars right now, mm-hmm. cash money, and he says, three twenty a day." And when he said that. I said, how bad do you want this guy beat up? I thought he wanted me to beat some. No, I wasn't making 320 a week. And they're going to let me beat this guy up every day for $320? I'd have fought Godzilla. And, and, And he goes, no, 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 you can't. You can't. Hit this guy. He's a he's a he's a he's a movie star, and and uh, you know how movie stars are a little high strung. And, and, uh, and I said, well, okay, Eddie, you don't understand. For three hundred and twenty dollars, you can give him a stick. Okay, I've been beat up for free. Homes. Like we started training Eric Roberts how to box, and the rest and, the rest is history from there. Yeah. 
We'll be back with more of the conversation after the break. We're talking to actor Danny Trejo about his new memoir and his journey from prison to Hollywood. You, you've had so many roles, but at the same time your career takes off and you experience a lot of success. Your two kids are struggling with substance three, use disorders. and I have three, I have three children. Two, yeah, right, two of your, your three children. And you say that, you know, you, you helped countless people get off drugs, but... When it came to your kids, everything you knew about what works went out of the window. Everything, everything in my kids. What was that like for you and for was, them? You know, it was, uh, it was, uh, if it wouldn't have been for a guy named Mario Castillo, I, I, my, my son would have died, period. If it, if it wouldn't have been for... Uh, uh, my secretary, Mary Matickle, and and my 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 daughter's mom, Mae, my daughter would have died. Uh, I couldn't do it. I was, you know, you you know, you're 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 when when you become a little successful, your uh, your value of money changes a little, and and a hundred dollars didn't mean that much to me. And I, I don't mean that to be uh, like a smart aleck. A hundred dollar means a lot to any everybody. But, but I would give my son a hundred dollars because I didn't want him getting in trouble. You know, I didn't want him to start trying to do a robbery. I said, here, get food, blah blah. And my daughter was clean then. My daughter was uh, had had almost a a year clean. And she got so upset with me. She says, Dad, what's wrong with you? For $100, Gilbert can score heroin, get a room, get a hooker. I mean, come on. And, 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 but again, it's like perennial love can kill a kid. And, 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 it's, and, and, and same, we can just screw up our kids if, we, if we're not. So I just thank God that that I had a support system around me that would take over. Mario crashed into a crack house and grabbed my son and pulled him out and saved his life when we took him to rehab. And both of your children, we should say, uh, they're both clean. Yeah, both clean all, now. All clean. Yeah. They're both they're doing great. My son just directed me in a film called, uh, he wrote it called From a Son and... Uh, it's funny because it's about a father looking for his son who is addicted to drugs. And and uh, I, I'm supposed to be a broken man. I'm supposed to be a broken father that's just at, you know, at wit's end. And, and every time I would be too tough on the set, I would say, you know, have you seen my son? And he would say, sir, do you want my wallet? And I go, what? Dad, you don't sound like a broken dad. You sound like you're doing an armed robbery. Mm. Uh, so I would have to go, you know, <laughs> he would, <laughs> he would, don't be you. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, 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 it's the best thing I've ever done. I, mm. I cried like a baby in it. I, like I sobbed. One thing that comes up as a theme in your memoir is your faith and your desire to help others, you say you you owe that. But what do you hope people take away from from just reading your story? You know what? I, everything 
good that has happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. I started a record label helping somebody. I started restaurants helping somebody. I started, I didn't start, all these people around me did. Do you understand? So I want people to know that the more you do for people, the better, uh, what do you call it? Karma. You know, it's like you get what you put out. You know, why did I go to jail? Because I did bad things. Because I, I put out bad things. Now, good stuff keeps happening. You know, everything good that has happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. And that's what I want people to take off. That, you know what, I don't care where you start, it's where you end. That's Danny Trejo, actor and author of the new memoir, Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. Danny, it was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Today's conversation was produced by Michelle Harvin. Our podcast is produced by Barb Anguiano. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. This is 1A.